Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast. Your source for sports entertainment. Incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter is how you get in touch with us. It's Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That's how you can get in touch with us and check us out. Make sure you check out every single week. We have Wannabet Weekend Edition going on in more than 100 places across the country. That is always a fun listen as well. Well, guys, look, we're in the middle of the dog days of summer. Here we are. We're at that point in the sports betting season where there's really only baseball to bet on. Obviously, you know, you have things like the Summer League you could jump on. I was watching some Wimbledon and you have some golf, obviously. But out of the big major sports and the big betting sports that most people jump on top of, it's really just baseball right now. But it's not turn your brain off and just kind of forget about betting season because there are futures plays for the NFL coming up. College football is actually eh, about 45 days away, depending on when you're listening to this. The NFL is about 55 days away or so, depending upon when you're listening to this. So camps are starting to open up. There's been trades, right? The Chicago Bears traded for Keneal Harry from the Patriots. There are some decent trades going on there. The NBA, obviously, we talked about it. KD, all that situation is in the news. So you have a lot of guys. Where is Johnny Gordeaux going to land for hockey? A lot of that's going on. But in Major League Baseball, it's obviously going to be the pinnacle. And they basically, you know, prop this up during the All-Star break and during the All-Star game as, okay, let's talk about the stars of the game. Let's really prop up the stars of the game. So it's a really good display and a really good showcase. We're going to talk about how the betting angle is affected by some of these players, by how prop plays are affected by the All-Star game itself, and should you bet on the All-Star game. So it's going to be a a baseball-heavy show today, but I do have some other stuff that we will definitely touch on. So Let's start right away, and let's start with the best team in baseball. I do want to have a conversation about the New York Yankees because there's a lot of differing opinions about the New York Yankees. Look, you don't get to a record pace in wins by accident, okay? The New York Yankees are at a record pace for wins. The New York Yankees are crushing it. They are pitching as well as anybody in baseball. Their bullpen is as good as anybody in baseball. Their hitting is led by the MVP, who should absolutely, yes, be the MVP and Aaron Judge, and he is crushing it more than anybody else in baseball. I mean, we could just go over this over and over and over and continue to come up with the same results, that the New York Yankees are just the best team in baseball right now, so why would they worry? 
Well, there are some concerns with the New York Yankees, and the concerns are valid. So I do think that the Yankees are going to be a big trade partners here. I do think that the New York Yankees are likely to make a big move. I do think that the New York Yankees are sitting here with a slew of minor leaguers. And while they want to lean the minor league system, that's why they passed on a shortstop. I do truly believe that Brian Cashman is a lot smarter than I think Yankee fans give him credit for, and he's going to make a move. The Yankees hold certain positions in the minor leagues that are just oversaturated from their point of view. The Yankees have catcher upon catcher upon catcher, from Austin Wells to Bordeaux. and I mean, you have a slew of minor league catchers, and they just have an all-star in Louis Trevino. So, you, you know, you look at the Yankees, and an obvious place that they could deal from is catcher. And let me tell you, in a fantasy-driven world, and a world where prop plays and fantasy plays are always driving the narrative, catchers seem to get lost. But on a Major League Baseball level, you talk to any GM out there, any organizational GM, talk to any baseball coach, manager out there, they can tell you the most important guy on the field is the catcher. So they hold a lot of value. The Yankees also have a ton of outfield depth. Their four, five, and six uh, basically ranked guys are all in the outfield. Lower minor leagues, you got a guy like Elijah Durham that could play the outfield. They are an outfield-driven organization as well with a lot of depth there. Now, they don't have a lot outside of Jason Dominguez. They don't have a star. I mean, Everson Pierre is pretty good. They don't have a star guy, but they have a lot of outfield depth so they can trade from a position of strength there. They don't have a lot of starting pitching that people believe are going to be upside starting pitches outside of Waldachuk, but they have a lot of bullpen arms, a lot of guys that people think will be bullpen arms. Even a guy like Debbie Garcia, who came up in the majors, hasn't looked very good. People saying, okay, you change him to a relief pitcher and he got something. Medea, you change him to a relief pitcher. And then you have the obvious, the position of shortstop, where you have Oswald Barraza, who should be in Major Leagues right now. He, he He's ready. He's done with AAA. You have Anthony Volpe, who is very generally considered the best prospect in all of baseball. And then you even go further down past that. You have another guy, Cabrera. You have, you have a slew of shortstops. Trey Sweeney was drafted as a shortstop in the first round. So the New York Yankees, all that is a long way to get to the, the point of the New York Yankees are stacked in the minor league system at certain positions. You're not going to find first baseman. There's not too many second basemen out there. They don't really have a, a, a really long-term prospect at third base unless they move Trey Sweeney over. They're starting pitching, like I said. It's a little top-heavy, but it's a little weak. It doesn't go run very deep, and a lot of people don't think that a lot of their starting pitchers are going to stay starting pitchers. A lot of people believe that they're going to eventually have to change positions and, and be a relief pitcher. Okay, but they have the positions of strength. And while we look at the New York Yankees as the great team with that they are right now, I do think that they're going to be heavily involved here in the trading deadline. And I think from a betting perspective, we have to pay attention to that. I, I know a lot of these, uh, it's obviously not on on any of the local apps, but a lot of the offshores and things have. Where will this guy land? Where will that guy land? And the Yankees are not getting a lot of credit there. The idea also of the New York Yankees obtaining somebody will affect some of these future plays. I think they do. I look at the Yankees as a flawed team. Now, 
there's not a lot to be made about Clay Holmes breaking down the other night against the Reds. It's the first time in 59 games that the Yankees uh, led by two or more runs after the eighth inning and, and gave it up. So Clay Holmes has been absolutely fantastic. The Reds were something like 59, 0-59 after trailing by, uh, you know, two runs or more going into the ninth inning. So it, it, to me, I'm writing that up as a pure fluke. The Yankees' bullpen shouldn't be a problem. It shouldn't be a problem because they are, they are getting Zach Britton back. Johnny Loisica is coming back. Michael King looks purely dominant. Clay Holmes looks good. They still have a role as Chapman there. So they're getting reinforcements for something that doesn't even need reinforcements through their own system. I didn't even mention any of the farm teams. So I wouldn't look at a big uh, arm, but... A guy like David Robertson can certainly come over. Andrew Chafin from the Detroit Tigers is a decent lefty that they could plug in. Maybe there's a minor deal there, but it's nothing I would worry about one way or the other. Overall, I think that's going to be perfectly fine. You get to their starting pitching, though. The pitching that led most of baseball for most of the year in ERA. They have been absolutely fantastic. Um, They have two starting pitchers going to the All-Star game in Garrett Cole and Nasty Nestor Cortez. Jordan Montgomery has been fine. Jameson Tyon has been really good. Uh, Luis Severino has been absolutely fantastic. You could probably make an argument that Severino had an argument to go to uh, the All-Star game. So they look great. But here's my problem with the Yankees, and I've mentioned it here before. Outside of Garrett Cole, who we know how good Garrett Cole is. Outside of Garrett Cole, who's going to put you pitch at 200 innings if you ask him to. Nasty... Nestor Cortez looks fantastic. Guy's never pitched 100 innings in his career. They're not going to ask him to pitch 180 innings. He's not going to go deep. Luis Severino missed the last year and a half or almost two years, basically, for arm injuries, for problems, for situational arm problems that you do not want to mess with. He looks great. You're not going to ask Luis Severino to pitch 180-plus innings, even though he was a workhorse when he was here uh, early on in his career. No, absolutely not. Jordan Montgomery is a guy that I think you can push up to 180 innings and feel comfortable, but he's more suited to be a four. And then you have Jamison Tyon, who has had injuries himself, has really gone about, he's got about 150 innings limit. And oh, by the way, he's looked absolutely atrocious and his ERA is now pushing up to over four. I think the Yankees go get an arm. I think the Yankees understand, while we might not have to go to a six-man rotation, we don't want to push three pitchers and hope that they all get to 180 innings. We need fillers. Now, J.P. Sears has done a really nice job, you know, jumping in and filling in. And they can have a guy uh, like Clark come in and fill in for a couple of games here and there. But come the playoffs, I think the Yankees are looking at it like this. Come the playoffs, we have our ace. Garrett Cole is a, a secure ace. Our number two is Nestor Cortez. Our number three is Luis Severino. At four, we could get by with Jordan Montgomery if Jameson Tyon isn't pitching well. But here's the thing. Do the Yankees feel very comfortable starting Luis Severino if he has to pitch 180 innings this year? I don't know what Luis Severino is going to look like late August or early September. Neither do the New York Yankees. What about Nestor Cortez? He's been fantastic. Every Yankee fan loves him. He's great. Do the Yankee fans really feel comfortable with Nestor Cortez racking up the innings and you put him in a playoff game at that point? I don't know if they do because I don't know what Nestor Cortez is going to look like in late August and early September. Neither do the Yankees. Jamison Tyon, can he correct this? Can he fix this? Well, we don't know. We don't know what 
Jamison Gatayon is going to look like in late August, early September. I, I kind of know what Garrett Cole is going to look like. And, and I feel like I know what Jordan Montgomery is going to look like. Outside of that, it's a crapshoot. So if the Yankees could go out and land a top arm, sure. But it's not even the top arm. It's the innings eater arm. A guy like Kyle Hendricks, and I know he's on the uh, injured list. A guy like Kyle Hendricks would work out perfectly for the Yankees. He'll be underrated. He'll come in. But you're not going to get any betting value on a Kyle Hendricks. But I, I think it helps out the futures play for the New York Yankees. And then you go to the hitting. And that side has never been a concern, right? That side should never be a concern. The hitting for the New York Yankees absolutely should be fine. But it's not. Look, Trevino is fine. And I'm saying just fine. And I know they're getting Ben Rovers back. But Trevino is fine. He's an all-star. He deserves to be an all-star. But his numbers over the past month have gone down. I feel perfectly fine with Luis Trevino if everybody else is hitting. If Trevino is in a position where he has to be the guy, now I start to get concerned a little bit, but I'm not worried about catcher. So Wilson Contreras and all that conversation, I'm not worried about catcher. First base, not worried at all. You have Rizzo, you have LeMayu. Okay, second base, not worried at all. LeMayu, Gleyber Torres, perfectly fine. Okay? Everything else is seemingly a question mark. Every other position is seemingly a question mark. You cannot get by with uh, IKF any longer. He is not as good at shortstop as he was advertised. He's about league average there. He has made some big-time bad mistakes. Uh, kind of Falefer can't hit his way out of a paper bag, although he's gotten a little bit hot here. I think he's uh, nine of his last 19. So he's gotten a little hot. He's got a little speed. But you can't continue to keep saying, okay, we're going to get by with him in this lineup. If everybody else was bashing the ball, it would be perfectly okay. If there was no other holes in the lineup, it would be fine. But he is a hole in the lineup. Now, the Yankees may just say, okay, we're going to bring up Peraza, but I would look them look for them to fix that. Kind of Falefer is a better utility guy where he's coming off the bench, he can play a little third, he can play a little short side. And, and forget about the whole, oh, he's got a gold glove, he's got a gold th- glove at third base. Speaking of third base, Josh Donaldson. Uh, Josh Donaldson is absolutely not what they expected, not what he's advertised to be. Maybe he turns it around, maybe you hope so, but he's getting older and he just doesn't look the same. I wouldn't be surprised if the Yankees made a, a deal there. Now, Aaron Judge is playing center field. Aaron Judge has been sat out twice in the last week because of lower soreness in his legs. I think Aaron Judge is hurt a little bit more than they're leading on. And a lot of that might be because, look, he should not be playing center field. He's playing a gold glove caliber, but he shouldn't be putting that wear and tear on himself playing center field. I think the Yankees want a true center fielder. Aaron Hicks got injured this week. After he started to turn it around, Joey Gallo is just a useless piece at this point. And then you got Giancarlo, which you really want to keep as a DH. You don't want to keep him out there. So, well, the Yankees look great. Oh, they got Judge. They got Rizzo. They're crushing it. LeMayu's good. And Glaber's having a better year. Oh, Trevino's an all-star. The Yankees look great. Isaiah Kainer-Falefa is just not a starting shortstop in Major League Baseball right now. Josh Donaldson is barely hanging on. Joey Gallo shouldn't be playing Major League Baseball. Aaron Hicks is barely hanging on. You got four or five guys in the lineup, guys, that just are not producing. I would not be surprised if the Yankees go get a bat. I think Brian Reynolds is a little too expensive. I don't think Brian Reynolds is going to be the guy. And I think everybody's looking at bet in 10 to your half. Certainly might be. You know, but look at those lower players. And when they do come over, 
you know, one of the things that I see a lot of people do when, when someone comes over and they come to a team like the Yankees, automatically they run to the prop place and they go, okay, I'm going to take hits. I'm going to take hits right now on whoever it is, on Ian Happ. Why? Because he's a Yankee. Understand when you come to the Yankees, you come to an, a lineup like this and your placement in the lineup like this, it doesn't make you hit the ball any better, but it will help your counting stats. So if you're a prop player and you see in the next week or so, if you see an Andrew Benatendi come over or you see an Ian Happ come over or somebody of that like, and you see them jump onto the New York Yankees, don't jump into the prop play of, okay, well, I think that they're going to become a better hitter, that all of a sudden they're going to start hitting the ball with authority. Oh, no, no, no. Don't come over thinking that. Use the counting stats, though. Runs and RBIs. That's what you want to look at. Runs and RBIs in a lineup like this certainly help. And that goes for guys that are already on the team. I see nightly the odds for Anthony Rizzo, who's batting 222, by the way. Um, I see nightly the odds for Anthony Rizzo to get a hit, you know, minus 150, minus 160, something along the, the, that area. Now he's had 286 at-bats. He's only had 65 hits. Okay? He's batting... Whatever, 227 he is right now. I thought he was 222. 227. 65 hits and 286 at-bats. And he's going to be minus 140, minus 150, minus 189 the other night. Okay? How about RBIs, though? He's got nine less RBIs than hits. Nine less. And RBIs are usually plus money. Plus 105, plus 110. I saw plus 125 the other night for Anthony Rizzo. That's where you get those counting stats. That's where you can take advantage of this. If you think Anthony Rizzo is going to have a good game, well, you know what? You take RBIs, which he's absolutely crushing, instead of hits. Yeah, you don't even need it. You know, sacrifice fly gets the job done. Hit the ball the other way, gets the job done. So that's something I look at, especially with on-base percentage guys like an Anthony Rizzo. Um, uh, even with Aaron Judge. Even Aaron Judge... Who, you know, is sitting here and you go, okay, look, he's having a, an MVP type of season. In 319 at-bats, he has 90 hits. Aaron Judge also has 67 runs and 65 RBIs. I mean, I'm taking a shot on his runs and RBIs every night as opposed to the hits. I, listen, you're going to get a much better payout on that. Much better. And it's the same thing, by the way, while we're talking about how to manipulate kind of the prop play market. I see so many people making the big mistake of going in for the huge money on a home run as opposed to playing it safe. Look, let's take Aaron Judge, for example, okay? He's going to be, to hit a home run, he's going to be about plus 250. But to get a run, he's going to be plus 105. To get an RBI, he's going to be about even money, maybe plus 105. Let's just say even money for both. Instead of taking the the minus two or plus 250, why would you not just take runs and RBIs at even money? You can get them without him hitting a bomb. Don't fall into the trap that they set for you. And that trap that they set for you all the time is to sit back and give you the easy play. We see this all the time with the Super Bowl props. I look down the Super Bowl props, and we've done this on the show a million times, and I go, wait a minute. Why would you take... Uh, Patrick Mahomes to throw an interception here, but I can take anybody to throw an interception at, at better odds. I, it's finding the better odds. And in prop plays, that is certainly a thing. When you start to see these trades go down, and they will absolutely go down, 
uh, when you start to see these trades take place, make sure you understand it's not going to make a guy a better hitter, but it could help his stats. It could help those counting stats. So if you're looking to take advantage of something because somebody goes to an ideal situation, we'll look at the counting stats. Oh, wait a minute. The guy's down on the Dodgers. Boom. That's a huge, huge offense. Counting stats. Oh, he moved over to the, the, the Astros. Boom. That's counting stats. It's not going to help you hit the ball any better. And I wouldn't start, start all of a sudden betting on hits. Hits wouldn't be what I'm betting on. I'll bet on RBIs because he's going to have more opportunity. I'll bet on runs because he's going to get driven in more because he's got a better lineup behind him. And that goes with anybody. Like I've said, I've seen so many people going out there and banking on hits and home runs because it's an easy stat to figure out. Hits and home runs, hits and home runs. Give me runs and RBIs all day long. I like counting stats. I like counting stats because you're relying upon the lineup. And that's what you're banking on. You're hoping for the lineup as opposed to just the guy getting on base, the guy getting a hit. No, you could get counting stats without getting a, a hit. You could get a run without getting a hit. You walk, move them over, boom, sacrifice fly, you're in. You get an RBI without getting a hit. So I like counting stats when I'm talking about prop plays. When the trading deadline comes, I think you're going to see an overinflated hits market, an overinflated home run market, but the RBI and runs market really don't move as much as people believe that they move. So that's something to pay attention to. All right, let's take a quick time out. We'll come on back with a little bit more baseball. We'll get into other sports later on in the show. Right after this, on Wagering Week. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, Baker Mayfield is now a Carolina Panther after leaving the Cleveland Browns, being traded away for basically nothing, and the odds are a-moving. Well, this opened up at Cleveland minus three and a half at the beginning of the year, and you were able to get it at about two and a half before the Baker Mayfield news came out with a lot of speculation of what was going on. Right now, depending on where you're looking, it's either minus one and a half Cleveland or minus one on the road and falling. I have even seen a half number put out there. There are some sports books that the speculation is will flip and make the Panthers the favorites. That is, what are the odds? I have to tell you, I bet you Carolina becomes fair. I, I think Carolina goes off in, uh, you know, how many days are we looking at? You know, uh, under 60 days, 55 days or whatever. Carolina's going to go off as the favorite there. Uh, they're they're, they're going to be the favorite. Most sports books in the country right now, now I'm looking at all of them. Most sports books, it's Carolina's getting one and a half or so. Um, there are some that they're getting one. I bet you they, they they go off as the favorite. That's what I I I think that the Baker Mayfield news will sink in. I don't think a lot of people are betting Week One right now, 
Uh, so they initially bet it. It fell down. But as that gets closer and as people start to make those bets and really go in on it and have the conviction and people get to Las Vegas for the weekend or get to Atlantic City for the weekend or, or you know, open up their apps for the first time, blow them off, <laughs> get the dusty apps out because nobody bets baseball, right? After all that goes down, I think people are going to start to look at this and really kind of jump on Carolina. And Carolina is going to be the favorite. I don't think it gets up to a substantial favorite. I don't think it gets up to a field goal number. Um, but I do think that we see Carolina, I'm going to say it settles in at minus two. I think it'll settle in at minus two. I don't think it gets to a field goal number, but I think minus two is a pretty good settling in point. And I think that when you look at the Carolina Panthers, uh, you have to like them. I, I mean, look, the Browns right now, they don't have a quarterback. And, and I'm hearing that Deshaun Watson might miss four games, that might miss six games, eight games, two years. I mean, it's all over the place. But there's nobody arguing that Deshaun Watson is not going to miss games, which generally means he's going to miss game one, right? I mean, so it's Jacoby Brissett. Now, they could run the ball into the ground against Carolina. They could just run it all day long, uh, and they have the defense to compete. So it's not a layup that it's Carolina. But I think you're going to see a lot of Carolina love. I think you're going to see... Carolina love. No, that's that's California. Well, I think we're going to see a lot of Carolina love. And I think that we're going to see a, a lot of Carolina in, you know, the contest, in the circuit contest, in the Westgate contest, in all these contests. I think you're going to see a lot of Carolina there as well. All right, I want to get back to Major League Baseball because it's not just the Yankees I want to talk about. I have some interesting news and notes from around the league that could help us make a little bit of money right now before even the All-Star game begins. And I want to touch on the All-Star game, uh, my thoughts on it, and what it does for the betting perspective. I've gone over this every single year. It's something you want to pay attention to. So with that said, guys, let's have some fun with numbers. And some fun with numbers, uh, we're going to go over some of it. Look, I talked about the Yankees, so we'll start with some of the Yankee numbers. The Yankees, like I had said, I mean, this is just a team that is, is steamrolling. The Yankees, since they had Anthony Rizzo last year, right? Since they gained Anthony Rizzo last year, um, 86 and 43 since that point. Anthony Rizzo is a team leader. I think he's kind of the exact guy that you would need on this team. But that's not the only stat that I have. I have a lot of good stats. A lot of good stuff that you could make. Look, maybe some in-game wagering. I, I got a lot of good stats. The Mets, well, the Mets are now 55 and 0 with a two-run lead after the eighth inning. Now, the Yankees were 59, so I understand that. But 55-0. and 0. You look at the most dominant closers, and everyone's looking at Clay Holmes and what he had done. He had less than a half ERA before this week began. And, uh, you know, he was a short all-star, all-star and everything else that he was doing. And Clay Holmes uh, deserves all the accolades. Josh Hader, uh, I mean, you look at what he does year after year. He deserves everything. But you want to look at the most shut-down, dominant, closer right now in Major League Baseball? How about Edwin Diaz? He's got a 1.02 whip, 1.73 ERA. He's got 73 strikeouts in 36 innings. Edwin Diaz right now is the most dominant closer in all of baseball. And that is why the New York Mets are now 55-0 and with a two-run lead after the eighth inning. Now, most places are not going to let you bet the New York Mets with a two-run lead going into the ninth. But it's something to pertain to the late innings. If you see some in-game action, the New York Mets have an absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous shut-down back end. 
I, I mean, they're, they're, they are getting contributions from everywhere. Even Ottavino has now stepped up. Drew Smith has been good. I know he's hit a couple of bumps lately. Seth Lugo has been good. The New York Mets, after, uh, you know, like the sixth inning, are just one of those dominant bullpens that I don't think people are paying as much attention to as they should be paying attention to. How about the Angels on the other side of this? Joe Madden, since he's been fired. Look, I was on the air. I said it at the time. Joe Madden should not be fired. This is not Joe Madden's fault. But since Joe Madden has been fired, well, the Angels have now gone out and gone a robust 11-50. and 50. Their winning percentage is .080. Wow. Yeah, that didn't work out the way they wanted. Uh, I'm going to tell you this. As of July 13th, which is when I'm recording the show, Adley Rushman was called up on the or, on the Orioles, okay, on May 21st. So Adley Rushman on May 21st was called up to make his major league major league debut. The Orioles at that point had a 16 and 24 record. Since Adley's debut, the Orioles have now gone 29 and 20. They are 26 and 17 when Adley makes an appearance. You don't think a catcher can change things, guys? These are numbers to tell you. A catcher can absolutely change things. Absolutely change things. And Adelaide Rushman, it's not just a catcher. He, he's a culture change. The Orioles are absolutely on fire. We talked about them. They are pushing now for a wild card and getting into the conversation of, of trades. I am hearing from pretty good sources that the Orioles are going to be buyers. The Orioles believe that giving their fan base a wild card at this point is really an effective situation to kind of get people into the ballpark and get people energized back with this team. And you look at the Baltimore Orioles and you go, their their farm system is fantastic. Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall on the pitching side, Gunnar Henderson, uh, Westberg. You have a lot of young, talented players coming up. And again, Vera, they have a lot of young, talented players coming up in, in generally the same positions. Second base, shortstop, third base, kind of that that sort of area. So they can deal from a position of strength. They are looking deeply into Luis Castillo from the Reds and Pablo Lopez from the Marlins, which is shocking to me because the Marlins are only four games back of a wild card. But if they're going to sell, they want to sell huge. Now, we know that the asking price for Luis Castillo was uh, uh, obviously Anthony Volpe. They want the number one guy from the New York Yankees. I have heard down the rumors that Seattle checked in on him. They wanted Jared Kalenic and more, Okay. Uh, I had heard a, a, a number of teams checking in, and they want their top prospect. I know San Diego checked in. They started the conversation with Robert Hassel. So they're asking for the number one prospect, and you start to get into a position. Is Gunnar Henderson a guy that they are willing to part with? Or, or you know, are they going to be able to, to be serious players? Because that's what it's going to take. Who's giving us that number one prospect to get Luis Castillo? As far as Pablo Lopez goes, I think the Marlins want some some tangible assets. The Marlins don't need pitching, and that's good because Baltimore doesn't have it to give away. The Marlins don't need pitching. The Marlins, uh, they need position players. They need big boppers. They look pretty set up with Jazz Chisholm. They believe that Khalil Watson is the future. By the way, he was suspended for disciplinary reasons. He hasn't played a game in a week, uh, so maybe that's not the greatest thing. But they believe that Khalil Watson and, and um, uh, you know, the middle infield is going to be very set up. It's first base. It's third base. Their catching situation. Even their outfield situation. 
could use some help. They have they have some young outfielders. They need some corners. They need some boppers. They could use a catcher. Uh, the Orioles don't obviously need a catcher with Adelaide, so maybe somebody in the lower minors. The problem is I don't see them being a fit. Unless you're going to move a Gunnar Henderson to third base and, and hope that he's your bopper, it seems like they're just not going to be a fit. You start to look at teams that will be a fit for a, you know, a Marlins team to go get a Pablo Lopez. Well, the New York Yankees are kind of in the same position again. Uh, like I said, unless they're willing to give up a Jason Dominguez, who will be a big bopper or looks to be a big bopper, he, he's a corner outfielder. Uh, they don't necessarily, quote-unquote, need a corner outfielder. And you don't build your team like that. You build your team getting the best possible. But if they do dangle him, they're going to kind of have their pick of the litter, uh, so to speak, if Pablo Lopez now enters the conversation. Speaking of trade conversations, I'm starting to hear, look, I, I will tell you how these things go. And let's have a conversation about how things progress in the world of Tom Barton, right? I start to hear things, about a month ago, I started to hear the conversation. You know, if the Angels are out of it, and they don't think that Otani will sign, they'll trade Otani. And you hear that floated and you go, is this somebody like drunk calling up the, the radio station? I mean, you know, what is it? Is this one of these guys uh, that, that kind of calls up and says, oh, yeah, you know, and you hear that and you start to question it. And then little by little, you start to hear it from people that you sort of trust. People that yeah, you go, okay, I, I trust him more than the everyday person. He's got a little insight to the team. Maybe he works for the team. Uh, may, maybe, you know, he's got some insight to the team. And it starts to come. Well, they might. Well, they might. They might. And then in the last week, I've heard from people that I do trust. I absolutely trust that, look, the Angels aren't listening, but they'll listen kind of thing. You know, we're not listening. What if you want to throw out an offer? And think about, look, I equate everything to fantasy. Fantasy sports because we are all fantasy sports players, and it's the only time we can really, quote, unquote, own a team. If you have the best player, okay, if you're if you're sitting there for the next football season, you have Jonathan Taylor. On, on a keeper team, you probably don't want to trade him, but you're going, hey, blow me away with an offer. I, look, I'm not listening for Jonathan Taylor. But if you give me a huge deal, maybe I'll take him. So you want to field those offers. I think that's where the Angels are with Otani. I don't think that they're seriously considering trading him, but if somebody comes over the top and they sit down with Otani and he really does kind of come clean. Look, I don't think we could win here. Look, this week, uh, you, you know, the general manager of the Angels said, I think we can. I see a path to winning with Trout and Otani. Okay, I get it. But it's also an Angels team that has dealt with nothing but futility and problems. I've also heard Mike Trout being dangled, but Mike Trout has the rights to go anywhere he wants. Mike Trout just signed a brand new contract. He gets to choose where he goes. So unless Philadelphia comes calling, I don't think Mike Trout's going anywhere. But it is speculation that you have to start taking serious when you start to hear maybes being thrown around. Otani may not sign with the Angels, and the Angels do not look like a playoff team this year. Look, I had them going to the playoffs. I had them win the division. I thought they'd be fantastic. It just It's just not working there. And Otani's a guy that, look, I'm building up my brand. I'm building up my name. I, I can't be on a losing team. I'm looking at Mike Trout's career, and I'm going— you know, look, the guy's getting into his 30s. He's breaking down. He had back spasms this week, uh, putting his body on the line, and he, he's never going to see a championship. That's how, how Tani's looking at it. And he's going, look, I could, I could pick my team. I, I mean, think about the insane amount 
that would come back for him. And just to, since we started with the New York Yankees, if the Yankees wanted Otani, okay, which, by the way, is a perfect fit for New York right now because you could play Stanton in the outfield, you put Otani at DH, they also need a pitcher, you get two and one. How is this for a package? I'm just going to throw it out there. I have not heard this. But tell me that the Angels could turn this down. They, they wouldn't be able to turn this down. The New York Yankees giving up their number one pitching prospect in Waldachek, Volpe, the shortstop, Wells, their catcher, and Jason Dominguez, you know, the marsh in the future there. How, how, does, how does a team like the Angels look at their fan base and say, okay, we're not going to completely build your future? Anthony Volpe is the number one prospect in baseball. A lot of people think that Jason Dominguez has a chance to be uh, one of the greats of the greats. Waldachek is a true number one. And then Wells is one of the best catching prospects in baseball. You fill four positions in one move, and in 2023, you're, you're competing. In 2024, he, you might be the team. I'm not saying you can't do it without Otani, but if he's deciding to not return, I ripped apart the New York Mets when they did this with Reyes. If you guys remember with Reyes, they did this. Um, the New York Mets just got nothing in return, and I ripped them to shreds because we all saw it coming. I don't know if I'm convinced that Otani will not sign, but I'm leaning that way, and I'm getting to that point that Otani very much might not sign. And can Shohei Otani be on the trade block? Whew. Uh, that is a, a huge question that I, I think we need to start exploring. I think we need to at least have the fun conversation about it right now. Don't take it too serious yet, but right now. All right, let's take a look at the All-Stars. I love to get all heated about this, but I didn't get all that heated this year. American League All-Stars, uh, Alejandro Kirk deserves it. Vladimir Guerrero doesn't deserve it. He doesn't. He, he doesn't. I mean, Rizzo should be the guy here, but I'm okay with it. I get it. The fans voted. Jose Altuve certainly doesn't deserve it. Uh, Raphael Devers, sure. Tim Anderson, I got no problem with. Judge Trout, absolutely not. Stanton probably doesn't deserve this. And Otani, the DH. I'm okay with that. I don't like Jordan Alvarez not being there. And Jordan Alvarez should be there over Otani. But again, this is the fan votes. Uh, National League, Wilson Contreras, sure. Uh, even though I think Tyler Stevenson should be there. Paul Goldschmidt, Jazz Chisholm, uh, Manny Machado, Trey Turner. No problem with any of that. I mean, Machado, I could argue that Austin Riley should be the starter, but okay. Um, Mookie Betts, Jock Peterson, absolutely. Ronald Acuna shouldn't be on this team at all. Bryce Harper, he's the DH, he's going to miss the game. I'm fine with that. American League Reserves, Trevino, yeah, that's good. Uh, Araz, Bogarts, Jose Ramirez, you could argue that Jose Ramirez should have been started. Andre Jimenez, no problem with the infielders. Absolutely none. George Springer, questionable. Byron Buxton, Benintendi, I need, you needed a Royal there. I would have put Bobby Witt. I would have chosen Bobby Witt over Benintendi. Kyle Tucker, Julio Rodriguez, no problems at all. DH, like I said, Jordan Alvarez uh, is going to miss their game. J.D. Martinez steps in there. I mean, what are you going to I'm nitpicking now. Normally, I get upset. I am upset about the Bobby Witt thing because there's not a Royal fan out there that'll tell you that Benintendi's better than Bobby Witt. I think it's a little ridiculous. So I'm a little upset about that. Uh, you could argue that Jose Ramirez should have been the starter over Devers. Eh, again, nitpicking. You, you, you really have one gripe, at least I do, and that's Anthony Rizzo should have made this team, at least for the uh, for the reserve situation. By the way, legacy Miguel Cabrera. National League reserves, Travis Darno. I like it. I would have put Travis, uh, Tyler Stevenson, but I like Darno a lot. Nolan Arenado, of course. Pete Alonzo, yes. 
CJ Crone, absolutely. Dansby Swanson, definitely. Jeff McNeil doesn't belong on this team. Jeff McNeil shouldn't be anywhere near this team. A- absolutely not. It, this, this selection doesn't make any sense to me at all. Jeff McNeil shouldn't be anywhere near this team. Kyle Schwarber, all right, I'm okay with Juan Soto. <laughs> Reality-wise, Juan Soto and Ronald Cooney probably shouldn't be on the team, but okay. Starling Marte, another head-scratcher. Ian Happ, I'm fine with it. Uh, Wilson Contreras from the Braves is the DH. Garrett Cooper, Garrett Cooper is perfectly fine. You know, you and, and Pools is going to be the legacy. You look at this, you go, I mean, McNeil is a problem. And no Austin Riley is my big gripe. Austin Riley should not only be the starter here, but I've talked about this with you guys. Austin Riley is my pick right now to win the MVP at 25 to 1 odds. Austin Riley is absolutely. Austin Riley's on the pace for 45 home runs, 120 RBIs, and 110 runs. He's going to bat 285. That's MVP numbers. That's not leave this guy off the All Star team. Oh, and by the way, his team is chasing for first place. Ridiculous. American League starting pitchers, I, I think they did an amazing job here. McClanahan, Cortez, Manoa, Framber Valdez. All right, maybe you don't like that. Martin Perez, Paul Blackburn, you needed an A in there. Uh, Verlander, Cole, Otani, Clay Holmes, Class A, Soto, and Lopez. I wouldn't have put Soto there, and I would have put Michael King. Other than that, I think they did a tremendous job, the pitching-wise. And people are going to argue Gaussman. Uh, I, I think Soto's the only guy. And you go, well, the Detroit Tigers need somebody. Well, they got a legacy guy in Cabrera. And I don't know how that works out, but I think he's their legacy guy. So you don't need Soto. Um, but then he would say, oh, well, I'm taking a spot from a team. National League pitchers, Kershaw, Alcan- Alcantara, Burns, Castillo, Max Fried, Gonsolin, Joe Musgrove, Edwin Diaz, Joss Hader, Helsley, Bednar, Mantiply, and Rodon who is going to be the replacement for Hayter. Fantastic job here as well. Fantastic job. I, I I usually get real heated, real angry about the All-Star game. I hate the snubs. The selections are bad. Outside of Austin Riley, who I could pull my hair about, and I do think that Anthony Rizzo really does belong here. Outside of those two, um, which and they are huge too. Anthony Rizzo you know, is on pace for 40 home runs and 100 RBIs, and he's not going to make the All-Star team. By the way, and I gave the stat how good the Yankees are, and he might be the gold glover uh, at first base in the American League. I mean, you know, what else does a guy have to do? But he is batting 227. So I could live with the Anthony Rizzo. I could live with Michael King not making it, even though I totally believe he deserves it because he's a middle-inning guy. He's not a closer. I know they don't get the credit they deserve. Okay, I can live with, with both of those guys not being on it. I can't live with Austin Riley not being here. I just can't do it. This is a, a supposed to be, and Bobby Whip bothers me too, because it is supposed to be a display. It's not supposed to be best players, right? If you want to argue that Acuna and Sosa should be there because they're young and they're advancing the game, that's what people talk about, and you want to argue that Vladimir Guerrero should be the starting first baseman for the American League, which he certainly shouldn't be uh, because he's advancing the game, and that Otani and this nonsense of Otani should play both DH and, and pitcher because he's advancing the game and the game is in good hands and we're looking at the youngsters, then how do you not have Bobby Witt there? How do you not have Austin Riley there? It's going to be egg in baseball's face if Austin Riley at 25 years old doesn't make the All-Star team and wins an MVP for maybe a first-place Braves. I, I mean, it's going to be egg in the face of baseball, and it's ridiculous. The guy's got the numbers across the board better than Manny Machado. More runs, more home runs, more RBIs. Doesn't have betting batting average, but it's not that much of a, dispa- a disparity. Uh, 285 to whatever, 305. It's right there. It's right there. I mean, that's into the future. These guys are carrying the future. Now let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet, bet to, the to the future. future.
Okay, guys, speaking of the future, let's go back to the future. Oh, what's more future than talking about something that is coming up in about 40-some-odd days, and that is the college football season. Odds to win the college football national championship. We'll start it off. Alabama is a little bit better than 2-1, to one, plus 210. Ohio State, plus 375. Georgia is plus 475. Clemson, 8-1. to one. USC, 16-1. to one. Texas A&M, 22-1. Notre Dame, 45-1. to one. Michigan at 50-1. to one. Same thing with Oklahoma at 50-1. to one. LSU is 66-1. to one. So is Miami, Texas, Utah, and Florida. Closes it out at 100-1. to one. Everybody else is more than 100-1 to one odds. That is bet to the future. Now, nah, look, tell me I'm a little early. Tell me I'm talking about college football a little bit early. I get it. But, guys, we are uh, we are not far away. Depending on when you're listening, like I said, uh, we're 40-some-odd days away from college football kicking off. And the college football really offseason has been dominated by what conferences are going to be where. And what about the super conferences and who's going to jump on here? And you tend to kind of forget how quickly it's going to all come here. And it tends to kind of get blown away where, okay, well, you know what? We're not figuring out and thinking about the actual college football season. We're talking about the big, gigantic uh, enormity of this. But I think it's time to start concentrating on that. You know, looking at this list, look, I'm I'm not sold on Utah. I think, I'm sorry, I'm not sold on Florida. I think Utah at 66 to 1. They offer some, I'm going to say, I'm going to say that I would put money on Utah right now. They they offer some value just because I think they have a shot to get into the final four. And once they get in there, you could hedge. I don't think Utah's winning the national championship at 66 to one, but I think I have a great opportunity to hedge at 66 to one. I can't say that about Florida. Can't really say that about Texas or Miami. Can't say that about LSU. Um, Oklahoma, maybe Michigan, that'll be a, a popular bet. Michigan at 50 to one, but I don't think so. Notre Dame at 45 to one might be a popular bet. I'm not buying that. And then everything else is 25 to one or less. So if you're looking for a long shot value play, a long shot value play to me is the Utah, uh, Utah. I mean, at 66 to one, I absolutely can see them playing for the national championship in that field. Now, I don't think that they win the national championship. I don't think they could beat an Alabama or Ohio State or Georgia. I don't think that that they're that level. But from a betting perspective, getting 66-1 to in this spot, getting that big number in this spot, and then an opportunity once they get into the Final Four to hedge your bet and make money one way or the other, you're going to have to make sure that you're on top of it. You're going to have to make sure that you hedge. Don't just buy it 66-1 to and forget it. But I think Utah has the has an opportunity, the best value opportunity here. I mean, it's really them or USC if you look at the board here. It's either them or USC, and I, I tend to think people are overrating USC in year one uh, of a brand-new regime. I mean, I think Ohio State's got the best offense. I don't think anyone's going to argue that. I think Alabama's the most complete team right there with Georgia. I'm surprised Clemson's 8-1, to one, but they must have a lot of faith in DJ. Texas A&M is the, the fun, sexy pick. They're down to 22-1, to one, sure. But to me, it's Utah or USC coming out of that conference. And, yeah, they can play in the Final Four. I love edging opportunities. I, I've always told you guys that. I don't necessarily bet futures to win futures outright. Now, which I have. I mean, it put me on the map. There's a reason why you're listening to me on the radio. My UConn at 55-1 to 1 before the year. The two years after that, what did I do? I hit Villanova at 28-1. to 1. Two years after that, I hit Villanova again. Okay? Uh, that was in college basketball. In the NFL... 
I continue. I could I could go over my litany. I think I've only missed a Super Bowl. I, I pick one team from the AFC, one team from the NFC. I've had a Super Bowl participant in all but four years in the last 14 years. So, you know, 10 or 14. I could continue to go down this path. Uh, the, my MVP conversations that I've had, um, uh, all of this. But I don't necessarily do it to cash that that ticket. I do it so I could back it up and hedge it out. I like I like the hedging opportunity. Best hedging opportunity. I tell people all the time. Uh, I was on the air in Las Vegas and uh, I gave out the Carolina Panthers the year the Cam Newton led them to the Super Bowl. I gave out Carolina Panthers at forty-one to one odds. I was in Vegas. I literally bought the ticket forty-one to one odds. Okay, to win the Super Bowl. Well, by the time it got to the Super Bowl, the most brilliant, amazing thing happened because Carolina was the favorite in that Super Bowl against Denver. So I was able to hold a futures ticket of 41 to 1, and I got Denver on the money line at plus a pretty good amount. I think I was plus about, uh, well, not quite 2 to 1. So I was able to get that, and that was my hedging opportunity. I was the most unhappy guy cashing in like a $10,000 ticket that day because I could have won about 40000 <laughs> right? I was I was the most unhappy guy cashing in a 10 grand ticket, but that's what you do. You set yourself up to hedge, and I think Utah can set us up uh, in a pretty good position to hedge this out. So in that vein, speaking about futures plays, I want to have a conversation about some futures plays, and, and you know, it's in the news. We get it. Look, the sports books now basically control a lot of the narrative when you're talking about social media specifically facebook and twitter uh but the sports books are controlling the narrative that's why you see oh you know johnny from michigan hit a 14 team parlay put down eight cents and went three million dollars i mean you see that because they want you to try that parlay you know we do see a lot of narrative being constructed by the sports books that are out there uh, to push people into making different kind of bets so when you are talking about um, you know, Super Bowl bets and futures bets overall, you do have to talk about that mentality of, of have, having the hedging opportunity. A lot of people don't do that. I would say I would go out there and, and without my scientific data, I would go out there and say like 90% of people, they fly into, it used to be a lot into Vegas. Now we all have an app on our phone, but they fly into Vegas for that, that convention weekend, you know, the IT convention weekend, and, you know, you kind of like making eyes at Mary from across the hall, hoping something happens at the buffet. You know, all these guys. And they go, hey, why don't I throw 100 bucks on my hometown team? And it doesn't matter what hometown you're from. Ah, what, what difference? You know how many times I've had friends? I'm in this business. I've been in this business for 15 years. You know how many times I have friends standing next to me in Las Vegas, Atlantic City, wherever I might be? Um, and they say, ah, why not? The old why not play. It's all the hundred bucks. I mean, sportsbooks love the why not players. And I think that you have to throw down the why not bet and the fun bet with the idea that, you know what, you do have an opportunity. And, and to go along with that, I wanted to bring this. Every NFL team has gotten at least a $1,000 wager to win the Super Bowl, except for the Bears and the Texans. Every team in the NFL has gotten at least a thousand dollars. So we're not talking about a fun hundred bucks, man. We are talking about every team in the NFL has gotten a thousand dollar wager to win the Super Bowl. Now I'm not upset at throwing a thousand bucks down on anybody, including the Bears and the Texans, because you have the hedging opportunity. 
you have the chance to go, okay, look, once they're in the playoffs, I'm going to hedge. But are we kidding me? I mean, you know, do we really, really believe that the $1,000 is going to go and and be a good bet? I, I think Jacksonville is going to have a great year this year. Does anybody believe that the Jacksonville Jaguars to win the Super Bowl at $1,000 was a good bet? Does anybody believe that the New York Jets, who I think are going to have a, a better year than they did? And by the way, the story about Wilson is fantastic. $1,000 on the Jets. Yeah, that's out there. $1,000 on the Giants. Daniel Jones leading them to a Super Bowl. Yeah, that's out there. But understand if you do take one of these shots, the Atlanta Falcons to win the Super Bowl, Marcus Mariota leading the way. If you're going to go out there, that by the way, that that's a bet. It's out there. If you're going to go do that, make sure that you have the discipline, and it really is discipline, to turn around and be able to hedge your bet. And it's not only the discipline. Make sure you have the bankroll. See, in a lot of these cases, you know, you want to hedge your bet, but the reality is, is that you're going to be getting plus points in the playoffs anyway, and most likely massive points. I mean, if the Jets squeak in, let's say, you know, their first-round opponent is going to be who? Buffalo, Casey, the Chargers, uh, right? I mean, uh, you know, uh, Bolt, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, Cincinnati. It's going to be some team that they're going to be seven or more point underdogs to anyway. I'd rather save the $1,000 there, okay? Put it on the money line in that game. Take that winnings. Put it on the money line in game two because even if the Jets win, they'll still be underdogs. That's that's what I would rather do. I'd rather know that that's the way to go if you're going with an extreme long shot. Now, you want to put $1,000 on a middling team, middling team like a New England Patriots, Miami Dolphins, a team that could have a superb year and then you get into the playoffs and, and you know, the line isn't out of control. Yeah, okay, I can listen to that. But I do find it interesting that we do get this information coming. By the way, this is coming from Caesars, that at Caesars, so this isn't all Las Vegas. This isn't every app that exists. This is at Caesars, that there's been at least a $1,000 wager for every single team except for the Bears and the Texans to win the Super Bowl. I'm going to be in, in Vegas in a couple of weeks. I, I might just throw it on the Bears. Just just so it's every team. Right? Oh, no. No, no. I will not do that. No, I will not. Ah, don't worry. I will not do that. Um, the other thing I, I want to say, just, just in the same vein of betting futures and being able to have the discipline, and not only the discipline, but the bankroll to be able to hedge. You got to have the bankroll to hedge. Somebody this week put 10, this isn't a small bet, $10,000. On the Sacramento Kings to win the NBA championship. It gets like back like $7 million. $10,000. So how are you hedging that? I, I mean, you know, think about it. If you put ten grand down, are you going to be able to hedge that if they make the playoffs? I mean, you can make the playoffs. How are you going to be able to hedge that? I mean, you're going to be, you're going to need a bankroll is, is my point. Because at $7 million, oh, who cares? You know what I mean? Just bet against the Kings in every game. I bet against the Kings in every series. Yeah, go crazy. Bet ten grand against the Kings in every single series, um, and you and you don't get hurt. Bet twenty grand against the Kings, thirty grand against the Kings in every single series. You're not going to get hurt, right? I mean, you, you you're just not going to get hurt. But the problem is, you're going to have to have enough of a bankroll to be able to bet the favorite to win, because the Kings aren't going to be the favorite. So you're going to have to bet fifty thousand to win your ten thousand back. Do you have a book that will accept that? Do you have an out that will accept that? And do you have the bankroll to do that? Because look, 
in theory, putting $10,000 on to, to win a couple of million, at, uh, yo, seven, eight million, whatever it is, it's a great theory. Oh yeah, I'll bet 50, 60 grand on the, uh, on the first round and it doesn't matter, I won't get hurt. You're right. As long as the Kings make the playoffs, you can edge. But can you? Can you find a book to do it? Do you have the bankroll to do that? Do you have the bankroll? Do you have four or $500,000 laying around to hedge? Because you're going to need, you know, uh, to go through every series and to hedge every series, you're probably going to need like a million dollars. Probably going to need like a million. And a guy like, you know, Mattress Mac down there in uh, in Houston, he could do that. But can you do that? And you don't have to talk about the $10,000. I mean, and just think about it. Even a guy that had $1,000. $1,000 on every team to win the Super Bowl. If you're looking to hedge, you gotta you got to have a pretty good bankroll to kind of go out there the other way. Because you're going to have to be betting big numbers. And to bet big numbers and big, bet big money lines or to bet big series and all that, you're going to have to have the big numbers. So... Understand when you're betting futures plays, you have to have the long-term goal, but you have to be smart about your long-term goal. All right, guys. Hope you guys enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the All-Star break. I will be back after the All-Star break next week. Enjoy the home run derby with Albert Pujols all of a sudden. And I hope he wins it. I don't think he will, but I hope he wins it. I'm Tom Barton for a wagering week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.